Hey, everybody. I'm John Michael. I'm the youth pastor here at Emmanuel, if we haven't met yet. Um, and I have a lot to say today, so I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and get going, if that's cool, y'all. So um, the, our scripture comes to us from the book of Philippians um, in chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider to have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. This is the word of the Lord. God. Lord Jesus, thank you for the scripture, for the example that we have in Paul and in the Philippian church. May we engage your word with you, with your presence, and not without it, Lord. May your presence dwell with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's a lot that Paul is saying. So forgive me, I probably will not address even like most of the things that Paul brings up, but hopefully I'll be faithful to address at least some of them. So when I was examining this text, I noticed a, a clear theme in, in the passage that Paul uses a lot of contrast. Um, duality is one of the constant themes in Philippians. So I have a, a slide up of a few of the things that I noticed um, just going on in the passage, different forms of dualities, different contra like contrasting images that Paul is using. It's like straining and receiving what is behind versus what is ahead. Sameness and difference to stay or to depart. Heaven and earth, glory and shame, subjugation versus transformation. And then just all kind of under the umbrella of that, like what is now like, I guess a Christian cliche, which is like the already or not yet. And things are cliches for a reason. It's a, it's a really helpful and wise metaphor for not only for what it is to be Christian, but I just think for what it means to be human. Um, and what's cool about this is that uh, this is kind of a window into just Paul and like what his makeup is, is that Paul is, is a Jew. And so, and not only that, but like was a Pharisee, was a scribe. And so he was very much educated in the way of wisdom as it was understood by Jewish people. And so he is like a student of the Hebrew Bible, but then also he was also educated in the way of wisdom for Romans. He was a Roman citizen as well. And so Paul was also familiar for what it, with what it meant to be wise to a Roman person. And so for, uh, for if you were a Roman person, the like idea of like a wise person was someone who was really good at rhetoric or like at persuasive speech. That was like the like 
ultimate, like most wise kind of person if you were a really good orator or could use rhetoric really well. And maybe you studied that if you like took like English comp in, in college or something like that. But if you forgot everything that you learned in that class, um, this is a rhetorical tool, it's a rhetorical device that Paul is using to help kind of bolster his argument and to like help describe something I think really critical for us even today. Um, he's using these opposites, I think, to describe what it's like to be Christian and that uh, we are people, Christians are a people who have a foot in two different worlds at all times. Just as there are opposites in the book of Philippians, there are paradoxes, things that we are, have to hold in tension just by virtue of us being Christian, by being in the church. What's cool about this is also Paul's drawing on what is a clear theme, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old. And I would say it's one of the first themes that you get introduced to if you just open up the book of Genesis, where um, in the beginning, God created the human being as a material thing, a material entity. And it says it's from the very stuff of the earth, from the very like dust or dirt, the mud of the earth that human, humans were made from. But then God also created the human to be a spiritual thing, made in the likeness of God himself. It says in Genesis 2, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life or the spirit of life. And the man became a living being. So we see in that uh, passage that it was God's intention from the very beginning for materiality and spirituality to overlap to be an organic whole in the human being in particular. It was never his intention for those things to be or feel separate. It was the pri privilege of the human that as a material and spiritual entity, that they had the unique privilege to shepherd God's purposes, God's uh, character, his presence to the material world. They were kind of like priests that way. They were like go-betweens. Um, God and humanity. Sort of like how Amy, whenever she um, uh, leads us in communion, she is a kind of like go between us and God as she leads us at the table. And so this paradoxical nature actually was the gift. It was the blessing of the human. And it was like the, the cornerstone of their responsibility. It was like what they were made for. However, as we all know, um, our failure to align with God and his purposes, his plan, his character, his presence, has created uh, a distance between us and what is heavenly. Um, there is now a cavern between our present state, like what we most easily see ourselves to be today, and that which we were made for. Um, that space where heaven and earth once overlapped for us now eludes us. And what that means for you and me today is that I, at least personally, have this nagging sense that there um, is something like deeply missing in my experience of the world. There's something missing in my experience of you as my neighbor. Um, there's a, something missing in my experience of myself and in my experience of God. There's always something missing, something that eludes me. And to me, in my life, that has been kind of like the pain of my life. It's been like a devastating feeling to always have this thing that I think, I, I think it is kind of written on my heart, something I was made for, 
something that we're made for, and yet it really eludes me. It seems I can't really get to it in many ways. In my own life, I've wanted Eden again so badly. And that place where, where there is kind of no longer this like sense where I'm a fractured image of who I'm supposed to be and where I can like finally be united with all of you in perfect clarity and where I don't have to try so hard to experience God, to know his nearness in my own life. I've wanted that so bad in my life. Now, Paul, as a student of the Bible, knows that there has been a reunification effort on God's part um, of heaven and earth, that he still remains uh, committed to making that vision occur again for us. It was always God's intention to dwell with creation like he once did in the beginning. And Paul knows this. And Paul is convinced as well that the absolutely final piece of the puzzle is Jesus. That uh, the one in whom the scripture says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, just like it was in the beginning. And so now if I look to Jesus, I actually know I'm not crazy. Like I, I know that I could, like, could look at Jesus and be like, oh, like that is the thing I was made for. I can see him and see all that he is and know that, oh, yes, this thing that has been dissonant in my entire, for my whole life, the thing that like, has brought me the most tension and grief and pain is leading me towards that. I see the fulfillment now. And so when I look to Jesus, I also confirms that there is an idealist in each of us, that it's true that like within each of us, there is something in us, and you can call it many things. Some call it like the, your spirit or the spiritual part of you, maybe your inner child or your center. I don't know what you would call it. But regardless, there is something in you, in me, that um, loves beauty and loves transcendence and loves to be in awe, that loves peace, that takes sin really seriously, and loves justice. It wants all of those things. And I have to like shut it up most of the time because I like have laundry to do, you know? And like if I have like need to get stuff in the dryer, so like for the mo I can't like dwell upon like all these feelings of like something being missing in my life and that kind of thing. I just like I have stuff to do, I can't can't think about it most of the time. However, while there is an idealist I contend in, in each of us, I think the Christian has the unique challenge, and I think that's what Paul is putting his finger on today that not only do we have this kind of spiritual idealist in each of us, but I believe that there, as a Christian, like I believe there's a fulfillment to that. I would actually contend that that's more of a challenge than not believing that there is one. So if we know that Jesus is God and man, is the one who is the perfect overlap of the divine and the human, the one who models for us a life intimately lived with God as it once was known in the garden, and that in Jesus, we see heaven and earth touching, and it's supposed to be, like, it's like the answer to the dissonance, the paradox that I feel in my own life, and that must be, like, the most excellent news, and as it has been, great, excellent news for me, but also for, like, the human experience ever since he came, it's still, like, not done. It has not happened yet, and so then the challenge for me as someone who follows Jesus, is if I believe that hope is indeed alive in the risen Jesus, 
How do I endure my unfinished state? That's the challenge. And that's what Paul is thinking about in Philippians. How do you deal with you, like as you look at yourself being kind of crusty or looking at your neighbor and being like, they're kind of crusty or like looking at the world and noticing that there is so much crustiness in the world, you know, that there's so much potential yet and it's so crusty. So when Paul is describing, pressing on towards the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus, he is distilling the universal human experience of wanting to be home in the particular Christian experience. So he's sharing, it's from his own life, that there is a fullness available to him and he knows it. That that like Garden of Eden thing is now available in Jesus. And yet, he cannot see it fully. He hasn't like totally apprehended it. To be a Christian, I think, I hear in Paul, is to actually endure dissonance and pain more keenly you actually might feel it more if you're a Christian. Maybe because you believe that there's hope, that you're actually attached to the outcome. Versus if you weren't, um, maybe you wouldn't care as much. Or maybe like, surely this is just life, right? But if you're a Christian, you have hope. So actually maybe when you sense that dissonance, the paradox of life, how heaven and earth are supposed to be touching, but they're not you might feel it more keenly, actually. And I don't know what that has looked like for you this week or just in your life. What that has looked like to endure dissonance, to endure death or decay, the broken relationship you might feel with those you love the most, the way that you miss the people you love the most to feel the dissonance in that. Maybe I thought life of God was supposed to be easy. It doesn't feel easy. I'm not sure how you respond to that sort of thing, but for me, I oftentimes seek to resolve that dissonance and pain with easy things and oftentimes religious things, which I think is actually more of Paul's aim in this passage, talking about religious stuff. And how, if it's true, if I believe that it's, uh, this is just me, if, it's, if I believe it's true that heaven and earth are close in Jesus, that those things are overlapping, then maybe if I use the Jesus-y thing, may, like, and they kind of just get over that next hill, be it church, be it people, the Bible even, I don't know, spiritual experience, if I just use that, I can maybe get over to the hill and then it'll be done. It'll be resolved. And I wouldn't have to feel it anymore. That like ache within. However, and I, I just feel like I relearn every time, and I, it, I still fall into this trap all the time, but I relearn every time that there is no easy answer to pain. And that if Paul had to feel it, so do I, <laughs> you know? And that my faith in Jesus is not an escaping faith. For Paul, pressing on towards the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus leads him to stay not to leave. For Paul, to stay or to contend or to remain connected, to love, to hold on to hope was actually to suffer, not for it to be fixed. Just as how the easy answers to the dissonance that I feel, even the religious ones, 
don't fix it. And the things that my appetite, my belly, like Paul said, craves the most, don't fix it. It doesn't lead me to what I'm made for. It, it always seems to lead me down the road of destruction, like Paul said. And even the religious ones will do that. Those easy answers don't work. And oftentimes, and this, I, I kind of got this from a song by John Mark McMillan that I love. Uh, any fans in here? John Mark McMillan, yeah, huge fan. There's a song called Death in Reverse that uh, really spoke to me. And, it, and there's a line that says, the things that made me feel young, they only made me old. So the things that I am like white knuckling, sort of like Amy said last week, the things that I'm like holding on to and trying to draw strength from, it seems like they're aging me more than making me young. It seems that they're increasing the cavern sometimes rather than closing it between heaven and earth. And so maybe that like just over the hill syndrome that I find myself in very often is just another way of retaining that white knuckled control over my life. And then Jesus had a lot to say about that. As Jesus said that as you retain white knuckled control over your own life, your things, your pleasure, your honor, your family, your friends, your everything, you cannot take up the life God has for you. You actually must lay down your life in order for you to take it up. That's the rules. And there's no way around it. And if I don't do that, actually, I'll go through life inebriated, drunk, and not sober. I won't actually be awake. And I'll never embrace what Paul will later describe as what is most true, what is most beautiful, what is most just, what is most good in the world. I'll never do it. So that is why Paul encourages us, even still today, to forget everything. It won't fix it. Leave it behind. Paul saw his life this way because Jesus, for him to stay, to contend, to love, to remain connected, to hold on, to hope set before him was actually to suffer. For him to be connected to us, it meant suffering for him. We see this primarily at the cross, which is what Paul is holding up for us today. Paul knew that it would not be different for him. And it's still true for you to love, my friends, to love your neighbor, to love the other, will mean suffering. There's no way around it. Um, there will always be grieving. And the Jesus life, the life lived with God, must be a cruciform life, a life modeled after the cross. It's the only way. However, as depressing as that might sound, um, there's actually, I think, an answer to that like, confusing thing in that actually we, as Anglicans, many people pray this prayer on Fridays, which is the day where we think about the cross oftentimes in the Christian church. And it reads like this. Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we walking in the way of the cross may find it none other than the way of life and peace through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord. Amen. The cross is the way of life and peace. By not taking it, you suffer more, maybe, or actually delude yourself from hope, even, which maybe is the greatest kind of suffering, I would think. So that makes me ask, though, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison how did he not get cynical? How did he not let the suffering, the routine suffering of his own life, like, lace him over? How did he remain connected 
to hope. Even if he knew, like, intellectually that it would mean suffering by looking to Jesus. What did, like, how did he not get cynical? Because I'm, like, cynical enough as it is. Like, how, I can only imagine how much more so I would be in, like, a Roman prison. So, like, (laughs) what's the antidote then? Like, Paul's antidote, I think, to being cynical and burnt out. And another way of saying cynical is maybe just despair. Is, was his belief that the fullness of God in Jesus was not only available to him in Jesus, but actually that Jesus, like that very fullness himself, had made Paul his own. And this is critical. So hear this. What, when Paul is saying that he is straining ahead so fervently for the goal of Christ Jesus, it, it, Paul is seeking to actually apprehend what is already most true of him. He's not doing anything new. He's not shaping himself, even. He's actually apprehending. He's trying to understand more and more deeply what is already true of him. And all these people that he's writing to in the Philippian church. He believed, Paul, that he was utterly claimed by Jesus. Paul, just like the people of the church in this Roman colony in Philippi, because Philippi wasn't in Rome. It was, like, far away from Rome. So just like these people um, are Roman citizens living outside of the homeland, Paul is sharing this idea that they are actually already heavenly. Like, they are citizens of heaven already, and that is what is most true of them, even if they are not in the homeland. Sort of like how they are Roman citizens, but in Philippi. In the same way, like... Even though they are not in the homeland, the Philippians, what is most true about them is that they are citizens of heaven in a place where heaven and earth are touching, in the church. And that's why they are, were called Christ's body. In the same way that Christ, in that his person, heaven and earth touch. It is, so it is the same for us as Christ's body today that in the church, heaven and earth overlap a little bit. And so actually, that internal groaning of seeking heaven and earth unification is not a sign that we are less claimed by God. Actually, it's quite the opposite. What if it means that we are more claimed by God? If we feel it more intensely, more keenly, if it causes us to strain forward more, what if it's a sign not that you are doing it wrong, but that actually you've gotten something really, really right? What if it means you're awake, that you're sober? In the same way that people walking by Jesus on Good Friday, hanging up on the cross, might look at him and say, surely he is cursed by God. There is no way he could be claimed as Israel's Messiah, as God's son. Just because they thought that as they looked at his suffering did not make it true. Jesus was not cursed by God. He was loved by God till the end. In the same way is true for Paul. Just because he was sitting in a Roman prison did not mean he was less claimed by God. And just because you and I still have suffering to do, grieving to do, does not mean we are less claimed by God. Maybe it means that we are more claimed by God, my friends. Paul knew that Jesus had to endure the dissonance of a life with God more than anyone and that Paul was simply following him in the suffering. And another thing is that actually when he, like, encourages the people who are mature in the church, it's just the people who knew that they were claimed by God most deeply. They actually weren't, like, cooler 
or like more spiritual than the other ones. It was actually, they just knew it most deeply. They had just apprehended what was already true of them more. And the same is true for us, that the people and you and I's life, where it seems like heaven and earth touch, are just the people that know that they are loved. And if that's true then, if actually the Christian journey of following Jesus even in the way of the cross means that I just apprehend more of what is true about me as someone who's loved by God, then that changes the way I do the whole thing, you know? Like if I do churchy stuff, like spiritual disciplines or whatever, um, and when I, like Paul said, like imitate Paul imitating Christ, um, I'm simply doing the necessary things that help me and help others know what is already most true about about me and about them as Jesus people, as people who are united to Jesus. It changes the way I relate to you as brothers and sisters. That's why I like, would say that you are brothers and sisters. It's familial, it's, it's done, it's fixed. We're family, it's the way it is. It changes the way that I relate to myself. It changes the way that I relate to God. It results, I think, in a life lived in grace. And I think it results just organically in our unity as the people of God. And heaven touches earth, you know. Um, a year ago, I was at a silent retreat, and it was really transformative. Um, and it seemed like my project that week, I, th- I just thought, I uh, felt impressed by the Lord, that it was like, I was supposed to tackle desire as a concept. Um, I'm sure many of you have experienced this. Um, I was pretty disillusioned with the things that I loved most, that actually like being, like desiring things and wanting them, loving them, meant a lot of vulnerability and pain in my own life. And I'll be honest, I got cynical. Um, I had been let down a lot and I felt really disappointed and I kind of felt old. Even at like the age of 24, I was like old, y'all. And I sensed that God was doing something in me that week And I realized that not only that, but I was disappointed in other people. I was disappointed in myself. I was annoyed that even though I was a Christian who loved Jesus, like I still had human stuff to do. Still had grieving to do. Dissonance to endure. And that maybe, I I thought maybe I wouldn't feel as much pain or feel like the sort of vulnerability of loving and being connected if I were just more mature, if I was better, more correct. But I think God said something to me in my prayer that week as I was kind of like contending in silence for a few days. And it's it's kind of rung in my mind ever since, and maybe it's for you today. And I sense the Lord say, John Michael, I am responsible for your spiritual formation. You are not responsible. For me, um, spiritual idealism looked like using God stuff to like punish myself or to like somehow shape, shape up, man as if I was the one in charge of doing the transforming work in my own life. However, Paul contends in this passage that it's actually the power of God that will transform us into who we're meant to be as the people of God, friends. Now and at the end of things, we are only knowing it to be more true. That's why we do this stuff. You are not responsible for your life before God. God is. And God will finish the work that he started, like Paul said in the beginning of Philippians. And so what if you actually didn't have to do the exhausting work of like 
make, I don't know, making yourself more right or more correct? What if straining ahead, like Paul is saying, is actually doing what I could do to apprehend what is already true of me and you as those who are united to Jesus? And then maybe heaven and earth would touch. And then, as a last note, um, there's a lot of belief in this passage about who the church is. That, like, if we're tr- it's true that, like, we're the body of Christ and, like, heaven and earth touch. That is a lot of idealism around church. It's like a high hope um, in church. And um, I've been doing this thing long enough to know that it does not feel like that most of the time. I know that church is really hard. And I have been wounded most deeply by church people. That is true. That's probably true for you if you've been in the church any length of time. I know the reason it is so hard and oftentimes deeply wounding is because of who we're meant to be. It just means more when we sin. There's no other way to say it. Especially when people like me sin in your life. You like stand before you and you're supposed to represent God to you. I know that means more. It just does. And so if you feel wounded, that is normal. You're not crazy. But friends, it would not be that way if this thing that we're doing wasn't special. It wouldn't have affected us so much if we weren't supposed to be looking for heaven here, but we are. That's why it hurts. We know it's possible to see heaven touching earth. We've seen it in Jesus, and we've seen it in the lives of saints before. We know it's possible. So when it doesn't happen, it can feel really disaffecting. And that's why it's so awful when we see hell on earth instead, especially in the church, when we're not of the same mind, like Paul said. However, just please remember a time when, like, heaven and earth felt really close, like when, like, the air around you wasn't just, like, oxygen. It felt, like, charged with God's presence. Felt like whatever barrier between here and heaven was like a little thinner. And that like it, you didn't, like God just felt so near. You felt united maybe to your neighbor in love. And like weren't you like ruined after that? Like what was that like for you? So I'm actually just asking you to just please hold on to hope. It is possible. And you're not crazy for wanting it. Stay connected. Please contend. Hold on to hope. Look to Jesus. He is all that we need, brothers and sisters. Amen. That's all I have. Lord, thank you for church. And thank you for this morning. Thank you for meeting us here, not only in a singing together or hearing from your word, but also at the table. May your Holy Spirit come, the Holy Spirit that was sent by Jesus himself to help aid us in this work, following you even in the way of the cross. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being faithful to us and laying claim on us as the people of God. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.